We've been running through a series talking about spiritual bankruptcy and really seven conditions to look out for. And and we had an interruption there with that choir that came and they did an awesome job. And they blessed us and lifted our spirits and then we jumped back in the series. And so this morning is kind of a wrap up. So, so bear with me because then we're going to move into uh, our focus Palm Sunday and Easter. And of course, what a glorious celebration that's going to be. We have a lot of things planned, a lot of ways for you to jump in, support our, our student ministry, support our children's ministries and just be the church, right? And, uh, but today, uh, we're, we're looking at the last two uh, conditions to look out for. And I'm just going to go ahead and say them so we get that out of the way. You're not listening, waiting for me to, to say them. And the last two conditions that I, I want to address is the defeated condition and the disheartened condition. The defeated condition, this is a condition that can really zap our spiritual passion. The disheartened condition, a condition that can really take away, you know, the wind in ourselves. And, and I, I think that we probably live there more than we realize. You know, this defeated or maybe a disheartened condition, even as a pastor, I have to say to you that I get disheartened sometimes. And, and, and I value, even as you come up, you encourage me. I, I value that. And I, I pray and I hope I come to you and I hope I, I encourage you. And I'm, I'm your cheerleader, so to speak. I, I really am. And I want to cheer this group on, this congregation. And I, I want to cheer our, our students on and, and our children and and uh, because we need that, because there are moments of defeat and moments that we are disheartened and moments that just are overwhelming. And the byproduct of that is, is intimidation. You say, what? Yes, intimidation, because the emotion of intimidation is very powerful when we experience defeat or failure in life. When we experience failure in life, there is that voice, there is that, that whisper that is always saying that you cannot that whisper that, that, that actually immobilizes us and freezes us right where we're at, where we are afraid to take a step because we're defeated or we failed before. We're afraid to take a step or even afraid to maybe even take a breath in because we've been defeated or we've experienced failure. And so the emotion of intimidation is so tremendous and so great. I was trying to kind of relate to that. I love, you know, telling you stories, you know, illustrations that connect out of my life to what I'm trying to say, my point. And, and I was thinking about the idea, the emotion of intimidating being intimidated. And I, I thought about a physical intimidation that, that, that wrought great fear. When my wife and I was traveling, the kids were in the back of the little car. We had a Nissan Sentra. How many know what a Nissan Sentra is? Raise your hand. Okay, it's a little car. It's the entry-level car, basically, for Nissan and and uh, we had a little Nissan Sentra. The kids were in the back and hiding out in the front, of course. Of course, the kids were not in front driving, you know, but anyways. So they were, our kids were little, and, and, and we're, we're driving from Twin Falls, Idaho. Anybody know where that's at? Twin Falls, Idaho, down into Boise, Idaho on I-84. And it's a pretty large freeway, and, you know, they're roaring through there. I mean, they're going high speeds. We were probably going 80 to 85 miles an hour. Now, you have to get the image. I mean, the idea... You know, to sense and feel the intimidation that we were feeling, a physical intimidation. Um, it, it was busy. It was 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We were making this drive down to the Boise, coming down the hill. So those that were going 80 are now going 85 because it's all downhill. And it was bumper to bumper, three lanes. There was a lane on the right, left, middle. We were in the middle lane, and the lane on the right was packed, bumper to bumper. The lane on the left was packed, bumper to bumper. We were in the middle lane, bumper to bumper, surrounded by cars and trucks and automobiles. I mean, all of that weight and all 
all that power and all those engines and all of that. We were just moving at this, this, this very fast pace. And then all of a sudden something happens. I mean, I wasn't sure at first. And then, of course, it just all came, you know, crashing in the reality of what was happening when, when in front of us about five cars there was a white dually pickup. And I can see it in my mind still today. It's been about 10 years. But I can see it in my mind in slow motion as clear as if it just happened. And we're going down this highway, this freeway, 85 miles an hour, packed in, boxed in. There's no place we can go, nothing to do. And, and all of a sudden, on top of that dually truck, that pickup, comes this semi-truck tire. The tread off a semi-truck tire with all the steel belts in it and all the rubber, probably a 120-pound piece of, of, of course, rubber and wheel and steel that came off this semi that was way up there. And it was in the air, and it hits the top of the dually pickup, hits the top of that truck, and then it comes back and crashes into our little Nissan Sentra. Now, this thing is so big, it literally blows out both of our side-view mirrors. It wraps around the car like this, destroys the ceiling of our, our Nissan or the roof of our Nissan, and it crashes and shatters the front window and it caves in probably 15 inches. My sweet little wife, I remember as a quick, I could just see it in my peripheral vision. She threw her knees, her, her legs up in front of her like this. And, and of course, this thing's all happening at 80, 85 miles an hour. And folks, we were scared to death. I took my foot off the brake immediately and began to try to slow down. And unfortunately, the people around us, they started slowing down. We eventually made it to the right lane. We eventually made it to the shoulder of the road there and were able to assess the situation. But folks, I want to tell you something. We were intimidated. We were intimidated by all the power, all the movement, all the, all the, the danger that we was going through. We were intimidated. And, and praise the Lord, the Lord saw us through that. But, you know, in, in a similar kind of way, when we go through defeat, when we go through failure in life, it, it, it's not physical like that, but, but there is this, this overriding power sometimes that freezes us right where we're at. And it's hard to move forward. Because we've been intimidated by that failure or we've been disheartened by something that has happened in life. It's remarkable you know, where Peter ends up because the Peter is our model this morning I want to begin with. Because Peter really, he, he fails. He has a huge failure. In fact, um, we go to Luke chapter 22, looking at verse 33. You don't have to turn there, but I want to you know, reference that passage or that scripture you know, when Peter has the most sincere, sincere spirit, he makes this promise to the Lord. And, of course, he was certainly a man of passion and affection for a Savior. There's no question. We don't question the passion and the affection that Peter had for Jesus. And here's what he says. He makes this promise. He replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And you remember that Peter makes this promise. He says, I'm willing to go to prison and even to death for you. I'm willing to die for you. That's Peter was saying that. He was that passionate about it. I'm willing to die for you. But then, within hours, Peter, he, he fails. And notice it was not a failure in a quiet or out of the spotlight type of place. No, Peter's failure and promise begins to unravel in the garden there when he falls asleep and Jesus says, can't you stay awake, man? He begins to unravel there, and then later on in the garden, when he draws the sword, you know, Jesus already predicted what was going to happen, but still, lacking faith, Peter draws the sword. You remember that? And the whole thing snowballs and peaks, then when he is uh, in the, the courtyard there around the fire, and they've had the Last Supper already, the Lord's Supper, and Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You remember that? 
You're going to die me three times. And as Peter is warming his hands by the fire, someone comes up to him and says, are you the one that's a part of that way? Are you one of them? Are you part of that Jesus thing? No, I'm not a part of that Jesus thing. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. And they say, you're part of the Jesus way. And at that moment, the third time, what happens? What happens then? The rooster crows. The rooster crows. And then the scripture says, I mean, wherever Jesus was, we don't know where he was exactly in the courtyard, but in juxtaposition where, you know, Peter was there by the, the, the fire warming his hands. Jesus was somewhere in the courtyard where there was a, a direct line of vision. And it says, then Jesus turned and looked at Peter, probably the way dad used to look at us when we get in trouble, right? I mean, Peter, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. They lock eyes and Peter realizes that Jesus' prophecy just was fulfilled and, and Peter experienced tremendous failure. Without any question. I mean, thinking about Peter for a moment, I mean, here is a man presumably had nothing to fear. I mean, here was a man, I get the idea about Peter, who's really, we could say, impetuous Peter, right? Impetuous Peter. Peter that was really driven because he was a man of confidence. I mean, I think we can agree with that. He, he was a man of this, this great confidence. And I think Peter kind of had that attitude, you know, I can handle this. I got this. Don't worry, Jesus. I got this. I can do this. It's that man that this... Thing this failure happens to, and he's defeated. I, I guess what I'd like to say this morning is that nothing humbles and quiets the soul like failure. Nothing humbles and quiets the soul like like failure. And then, of course, then you know, then we deal with the emotion of intimidation. We're intimidated by the idea of you know stepping forward or stepping out or or, or having faith again. And and sometimes that intimidation it's, it's overriding and it's suffocating because we we've all experienced defeat in in some fashion in some way in life. And I don't know if I need to meddle like this because I'm getting ready to meddle for a moment. But I think sometimes we we can have the emotion or or experience the emotion of intimidation even as a church. Because of past experiences or past scenarios or, or things that have happened to us and we can say, you know, wow, you know, things are overwhelming. Maybe we're not verbalizing it. Maybe we're not having a conversation about it. We're not talking about it. But it's easy to feel intimidated even as a congregation. I mean, how can we do this thing? How can we really make an impact when there are so many forces at play? I think of this metropolitan area, San Diego, and, and there's no question San Diego is an awesome place to vacation. It's an awesome place to live. Heidi and I are having a ball. We're loving San Diego. We're loving our congregation. But there's no question that San Diego is a space of tremendous diversity and political Heat, so to speak, political issues. There's no question this is a hotbed of complexities from everything like immigration and social ideologies to even the Golden Triangle and the technical influences converging on this city. I mean, San Diego, it is an awesome place to live, but it's a confluence of higher education, expensive real estate and social balance. And this can be intimidating because these are symbols of human power. I will never forget when Heidi and I visited Washington, D.C., and, and we were there on the mall and going to the museums and the Capitol and we're looking at all the buildings and thinking about all the authority and all the power that was there and folks you know you would think I'd be elated oh this is so awesome but man I remember the overwhelming feeling of defeat that came over me because I began to think about how little I was and how what a nobody I was and 
Who am I? I mean, how can I really make a difference in our country? How can this this no name really make a difference in our world? And, and I was feeling that that feeling of defeat. And my wife and, and the kids stayed in the, the, the motel room. It was Sunday morning. They didn't want to go to church. But wherever I'm at, I like to find a place and go to church. Whatever church experienced it. I found a little Methodist church a few blocks down from the hotel. Uh, just beautiful facility, probably a hundred and some years old. And I go into there and I just listen and allow the Spirit of the Lord to just wash over me. And I remember hearing the voice of the Lord as the Lord began to speak to me in that feeling of defeat. That he was saying to me, it wasn't, it's not the man, it's not the position, it's not the status, but it is the willing spirit, it is the obedient spirit, and that's the one that I want to work through. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how God always works. No matter the powers that are at play, God will work and God will serve and he will minister through who, those who are willing. I, I love the story of of one uh, professor he is written about in a journal that he'd written as a POW, you know, prisoner of war. And he talks about going into this particular camp during World War II. And, and, and he thought to himself as a professor, very positive, he was not a believer, an atheist. And, and he goes into this camp and he decides to gather some other intellectuals with him. And so he finds other people that were highly educated. And, and they said, well, this thing is kind of a, you know, it's a, a thinking thing. It's a planning thing. And, and it's a matter of food, warmth and shelter. And they decide as a people in a very dismal scenario, they can handle this by, by thinking and by planning and by organizing. And he writes about this in his journal But as he writes in his journal, if you read his journal, there is another factor. There's another factor that unfolds, one that he had not anticipated as a non-believer. Because there in that prisoner of war camp, as morale began to sink and chaos began to break out and death was steadily increasing and problems were unsolvable. And they realized that there was nothing that their planning and their organizing and their thinking could do to meet the needs of these people in this dismal scenario. And then he was walking past a place where the clergy had decided to meet. And they said, this is the space. This is our holy ground. This is our church. And they'd sing hymns together. And they preach message. And they'd share the word. And this atheist professor now is walking by this space, feeling just overwhelmed by, by the dismal scenario that he was in. And then as he was walking by and listening to them to sing their hymns, listening to them singing their hymns, he writes, something leapt to life in me. An exactness of hope settled over the young professor as faith was brought slowly into view. And the one that did not believe all of a sudden began to believe and realize that there is a factor that we miss out on that this world cannot meet. And that factor is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And I I don't know what you've been hoping for. I mean, as we're talking about seven conditions to look out for and your spiritual, you know, bankruptcy and this idea of our faith and having passion in Christ. I mean, I don't know what you've been looking for. Maybe, you know, something to rekindle the passion you have for Christ in your life or or maybe something to rekindle the passion in our church or maybe some embers of faith to ignite and leap to life because you know that there's something there. You know, there's something deep down and yet, you know, something's not happening instead of feeling, oh, here's just another passion. Pastor, here's another idea. Here's just one more promise. Here's just one more plan. And all of it is leaving us empty. And we're not experiencing the passion that we know is there, the fire that we know is there. I wonder what would happen. Let me say it like this. I wonder what would happen if we were to experience what that New Testament church experienced. 
What would happen if it was no longer about programs? It was no longer about, you know, uh, our, our favorite speaker. Let's say what would happen if all of a sudden we were to experience what they experienced in the New Testament. And we were to go back to this reality and this this event that we're going to celebrate in about two Sundays. And that event is Jesus Christ in his resurrection. I mean, what were the conditions of, of that movement that took place that has transformed the world and the church is still rolling today and the church is still growing, not in America, not in the United States. I mean, look at the statistics. But, you know, there are many other places in the world like South America, like China, that the, the gospel is thriving and the church is exploding because there's a movement that has happened. What would happen If we realize that the real answer for us as a church is not to be intimidated by all these human powers and all the challenges that are here, but we're to be a part of a movement of Jesus Christ. I mean, what would happen if that's what we experienced as a church? And 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 again, maybe, you know, you, you have been hoping for something to revive your spiritual passion as we think about our, our spiritual well-being. I, I'm enjoying you know, meeting together as a team, our, our team, your team, our staff. In fact, would, would you, if you're a full-time pastor here, would you just stand right there where you're at? I want all our pastors to stand. Pastors, would you stand right there where you're at? Just, just stand. I want to just invite you to do that. And I want to invite you to just remain standing for a moment. And I, I want to invite us, the rest of us, and I know that you pray for them. I know on your prayer list that you're going down name by name and family by family. You're praying for your pastors. But I, I just want to just recognize our pastors and thank the Lord for the pastors that we have and this awesome team that God has given us. And I just want to applaud them and thank them for their service and their ministry and just say thank you for being Thank you for being obedient. Thank you for being here at Mission Church because God is doing a great thing. Give them a hand real quick, would you? And you guys may be seated. Amen. But, but you know, something's happening here, folks. I mean, God is doing something in your, your leadership team and we're getting tighter and tighter and tighter and we're spending time together and we're laughing together and we're crying together and we're getting mad at each other once in a while. And... Sounds like, sounds like family. <laughs> because God is, is moving us and doing something. And, and see, folks, I, I'm trying to say you're a part of this. You're a part of what God is doing and what he's building here at Mission Church. And, 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 and I know that we, we've all been defeated at certain times. We've all experienced personal defeat. <laughs> but, but see, that's not the end. That, that, that's, that's, that's not the end. I mean, failure is not something we get used to and we may not like it, but, but it happens to be defeated and disheartened. Just like Peter. It's remarkable how Peter ends up and how remarkable his role is in, in, in Christianity and scripture, in spite of the failure that he goes through, which should be very encouraging to us. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I want to go to Isaiah, the prophet, who was delegated to bring Judah reassurance. Think about that for a moment. He's delegated to bring, you know, Judah reassurance. And Isaiah had spiritual passion, was the voice of the Lord. But the question is, how or why wasn't Isaiah, not how, but why wasn't Isaiah intimidated? These emotions of intimidation because of failure, defeat, or being disheartened. The enemy uses that. So why was Isaiah 
not intimidated. Well, I think it has a lot to do with with um, really, you know, of course, the power of God, the, the spirit anointing upon him. A lot of dealing with his outlook, the way he looked at things and his his relationship with with God. Let's read this together. Isaiah chapter eight, looking at verse 11. Now we're at our text. Finally, the Lord spoke thus to me. This is in a little bit different translation, but the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people to not walk in the way of this people. Saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. In other words, just because, you know, it's defeat, it doesn't mean defeat. Just because it feels like you're down, it doesn't mean you're down. Amen? Just because it seems like a setback, it's not a setback, it's a set up. That God is setting you up for something that is better and something that is greater. I see it, th- this is a lot attitude, and attitude is not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. But you see, he works through having that attitude that is a right positioned attitude or a positive attitude. Let's continue to read. But do not call conspiracy, all that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, no, nor be in dread. You know, oh, woe is me, always being dread. But the Lord of hosts, this is the sovereign God. This is the God that is at the head. And maybe we just need to be reminded of that. I think it's good for us to be reminded that God is the head. I mean, that's really simple. That's probably really even oversimplified. That, that God is the head. And that God is sovereign. And know how, no matter how dismal things may be, no matter how defeated you feel, God is the head. God is sovereign and God is in control and he will see you through. And folks, I don't know about you, but when I recognize that that he is the Lord, not only the Lord, but the Lord of hosts, man, that's encouraging to me. Because you see, you know, I oftentimes I have no clue. God does have a clue. Amen. He is the Lord of hosts, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. In other words, simple paraphrase. Hey. God has your back. God has your back. I, I look, my big brother, I have a big brother. I don't know if you know that. And he is bigger than I am, about a couple inches. But anyhow, uh, which still is not very big. But anyway, my big brother, he's six years older than I am. And uh, uh, he, he remodels houses. He does, you know, woodworking and all kinds of stuff. He does remodeling. But um, he has shown me such tremendous respect. He's six years my elder, but he treats me like I'm the elder. I'm so humbled by that. And he's shown me tremendous, tremendous respect. And I'm thankful that he, he honors me in that way. And I praise the Lord for, for a brother that, that lifts me and encourages me. And he, he feels oftentimes, he communicates, he feels that his life is, is kind of not worthy. He doesn't say that, but I kind of get that message that he's feeling not worthy. But you know, the Lord gave me my brother because on occasion my brother will simply say this to me. He will say, Tony, if I happen to share something with him, it seems like I'm a little stressed. He'll say, Tony, God's got your back. <laughs> and he says, remember... Remember when? Remember when? And they'll just remind me of all these times 
that I was feeling defeated or disheartened. And God had my back. And my brother, he, he is it's just pervasive there. He reminds me again and again that God has my back. And I don't, I don't know where you're at or what you're going through right now, but I'm saying to you as an individual, God has your back. He has your back. He is the Lord of hosts. He is sovereign. He has your back. And I'm saying to our congregation, I'm saying to Mission Church of the Nazarene and our team that, hallelujah, God has our back. You see, spiritual passion and victory is not in the visible powers that surround us. Spiritual passion is not in the human efforts of man as overwhelming as business and politics or any force that we can see in this world. You see, that's not where spiritual passion comes from. Our spiritual passion comes from the Lord of hosts and the King of kings. I get giddy when I think about it because he is our source. He is our strength. Jesus is our hope. He is our passion. You want the passion of Jesus Christ? Then get Jesus Christ. Christ wants to be a part of your life. And folks, being disheartened is not the end. It is not failure. It is not over. It is just delayed deliverance from God. God wants to deliver you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to help you mount up with wings like eagles and experience victory in the Lord. That's who Jesus Christ is. And I don't know where you're at in life and what you're struggling with, but I know this, that Jesus wants to lift you and put wings in yourselves and help you through that challenging week, maybe that you just went through, or maybe the week you're getting ready to go through. The Lord knows. But Jesus Christ wants to give you hope. He wants to help you. He wants you to help you push. I, I found a flyer a long time ago, some women's retreat fire. I think the theme was, you know, pray until something happens. You know, the push, pray until something happens. And I, I think that's just a great acronym. I mean, an awesome attitude to have to just, you know, pray until something happens. But I think of push. And I think, you know, about, you know, sometimes I have to push back, you know, what does not belong. Maybe it's thoughts or maybe it's this feeling of defeated or Feelings of failure, I need to push back. I can use it that way too. And, and just and come to the presence of the Lord. And the Lord will, he will always give you strength. He will always give me strength. And I praise the Lord for that. I, I, I love our, our text there, the first one that we looked at at the beginning of my message here. Because, you know, eventually we talked about Peter being a model for failure there. But Peter, think of this for a moment. Peter got it. Peter eventually learned and he made a turn. And his trust, remember, was in the Lord. And I don't think he failed in trusting in Jesus and having passion for Jesus. He failed himself. But that was not the end of Peter. I mean, God has used him in a great way, used him in a great way. And and you see, so whatever you're going through, that's not the end. It's probably the beginning. It's a turning point that God is going to work through you and use you for his glory. And if you feel defeated or you feel disheartened, I have a message or the Lord has a message, not me. The Lord has a message that he will sustain you. He will lift you and he will bless you and he will carry you through whatever it is that you face. No matter how dark it is, Jesus Christ will see you through the first week in May. We're going to have somebody share a testimony. In the first week in May, mark your calendars. Take a moment right now. If I see you do that, that's fine with me. But the first week in May, we're going to hear a testimony. And the testimony is going to be of a person that has gone through a valley that is so deep and so dark, I doubt that you will even be able to relate. I mean, you'll recognize it's deep and dark, but 
And we, we can't relate. We probably no one, and hopefully no one in this congregation would be able to relate to how dark and deep that valley was for that individual. And he's going to share his testimony. And it's powerful. And I'm wondering, Lord, could I do that? And, and you know him. It's Josh Elliott. So the first week in May, the first Sunday in May, Josh Elliott is going to share his full story. He's going to share his testimony. And Josh, if you don't know him, he's in a wheelchair sometimes. Sometimes he has prosthetic legs on. And I've asked permission, and, and, and Josh has given me the go-ahead. And he's going to be sharing his story. So you want to bring a friend with you. You want to bring somebody with you. Maybe you know somebody that's going through a really dark time, a really difficult time. They're very disheartened, or they're feeling defeated. Bring them on that first Sunday in May, and I believe that they will be blessed by Josh's testimony. As I'm thinking about being defeated, disheartened, I can't think of a, a person that's had to pull himself up and out of a dark place Uh, as much as Josh has had to do it, and he's done it remarkably. But the joy he has, and here's what's so awesome about his testimony, the joy he has is in the Lord. The joy he has is in the Lord. And I don't know how, how dark things are for you, but our joy is in the Lord. Jesus is our strength. And he wants to give you, he wants to give you help this morning. I love that song that Molly shared with us and and Kelly. Thank you so much. What a beautiful song. I'm wondering, would it be okay if we went to that song instead of the This Is How I Fight My Battles? I want to go back to that song by Lauren Daigle. Have you gals and, and James come and the band. Is that okay? Let's do that song again because it communicates so well this theme, this concept that we're talking about, that life is sometimes... Hard and, and defeating, and we get disheartened. But God is a God that we can trust. God is a God that will see us through. And so I want to invite you really to listen to the words as Molly and Kelly and James sing the song for us. Allow your heart to be moved, allow your spirits to be lifted, because Jesus wants to lift your spirit today. Let's hear. Feel free to sing along as well.
together. Precious Father in heaven, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for first loving us. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us where we're at. We don't have to be lost. That you're, you're seeking us. You're wooing us unto yourself. And maybe it's possible, Lord, that, that Lord, somebody has heard your voice this morning. You've spoken maybe in your word. Maybe your spirit has just whispered in somebody's ear. And you're lifting that one that's been feeling defeated. Maybe even intimidated by life moving forward. Father, I just pray that your spirit would just come in and just renew that one. Renew their strength and their hope and their passion in you, Jesus. Like you renewed Peter, Father. We thank you for that. Lord, we just take a moment and we just pause to hear your voice. Lord Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We need your strength, Lord. Thank you, God, for speaking today. Thank you for, Lord, loving us. We worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. May the Lord go with you as you serve him this week. God bless you.